everyone. It's time for our Bible reading now. So if you've got your Bibles or your devices in front of you, you could turn to the book of Hebrews and to chapter 12. And we're going to be reading from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. So Hebrews chapter 12, commencing at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral, or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded that even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Thanks, Andre, and morning, everyone. Lovely to see everyone here, and uh, wasn't it just great to praise God in song? Uh, if you didn't hear it all that well, well, you come down the front, it sounds great down here, um, but uh, thanks, there's no reason for that, because Mark's doing a really good job up there on sound, so um, no doubt everyone heard it really well. Uh, Melissa and I had a, a good week away. We weren't here to worship with you in person last Sunday. We were actually busy packing up a semi-wet canvas camper but we're at the end of a, a really good breakaway together uh, as a family uh, with some friends so thank you for that opportunity and welcome back to those who may have also been away 
uh, as well at some point over the school holidays. Well, uh, we, uh, with some good news, may be thinking this morning, it's great, it looks like we may have come almost to the end of Hebrews, and in fact we have. We're going to finish out Hebrews this morning. Uh, We're going to look at not only the passage read to us, but we'll continue on into parts of chapter 13 as well. So keep your Bibles open, Uh, it'll be worth having a look through there. But uh, Hebrews is fascinating in the way it starts, it's an amazing book as God's Word is, right? Every every one of them, uh, all all the, the books and all the letters in God's Word. But Hebrews starts out fascinating with this sort of declaration of of worship and it ends in a similar way. And you you may read that passage or listen to that passage we just read and think, well, what's what's that got to do with with worship? Um, Well, it'll make sense uh, as we go through it, I hope, with the Lord's help. But the book begins and ends with a clear outline of what true worship really is. And there's no uh, surprises there for us. True worship is all about Jesus True worship is all about the one who is worth uh, our attention, worth our devotion, worth our life commitment. And uh, and it's all about uh, the whole package of Jesus, who he is and of what he's done, his life, um, his teachings uh, that have been witnessed to by the gospel writers, um, his death, uh, that when he gave up his own life uh, on behalf of all of us, and of course his victorious resurrection. The whole package about Jesus, he's the one who is truly worth our wholehearted dedication to. And and from the beginning of our passage this morning, um, even though we didn't read it all, we're reminded again that the resurrected and now uh, glorified Jesus, the one who rules and reigns um, from heaven, is himself, as we've always known, uh, but if there was ever any doubt, he was both human as, as well as fully God, fully God in human form. So Jesus is God and that's who he is. And our reading this morning ended with this reminder of who God is, who Jesus is. You see, to worship God, we need to do so in an acceptable manner. To worship God, we're called to remember to revere him and to be in awe of him. For God, says Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28, is a consuming fire. And it's a sobering, I think, a sobering statement to hear about God, particularly when we look at worship and the many expressions and forms of it today. It's worth remembering because it is true. God is a consuming fire. God is not a cuddly teddy bear. God is not a sky fairy who gives gifts and who exists to meet every single one of our needs or sometimes our demands. That's that's not who God is. God is a lion. God is a firestorm and when we approach to worship him, uh, we need to always remember that we do so with reverence and in awe. And by the way, that's not dull or being solemn or being sad or being worm-like. It's how many of us were this morning, revering God, singing of who he is and of what he's done. And doing so with a sense of awe. So the question uh, for us today is this. um, How do we come to a God like that in a right and proper and appropriate manner? With with proper reverence, with with, with, um, uh, appropriate awe. How do we worship him in a way that's acceptable? Uh, Not to us as the standard. So so not like how do do I worship God or what do I like, what ways do I like to worship God? How uh, do we worship God that's pleasing to him? What does worship that's pleasing to him look like? 
what's it like? Well, um, for some of us, we still need to have things. Uh, for some of us, we still like to have objects or rituals uh, and uh, the right kinds of service orders, for example. And there's nothing wrong with organising ourselves and there's nothing wrong with symbols that remind us Jesus himself gave us symbols, a limited few, but he gave us symbols nonetheless to remember him. But for the first hearers of the Hebrews, those first converts to Christianity, God's people, it's been a choice for them a choice between the way they've always worshipped God, the way that they're familiar with, the way that they're used to through the priests and the temple and uh, the way the priest carries on performing sacrifices and offerings day in, day out, over and over again, but never actually fixing the problem. Uh, and, and it's a choice between that or the new way that God's opened up, a new way that God has opened up through his very own son, Jesus Christ. And as we've seen, and some of you may think we've heard this, well, that's right, it's the consistent message through Hebrews. Remember, it was most likely one long sermon uh, originally. But uh, as, we've, um, as we've heard and as we've seen and heard over again, these early Hebrew converts to Jesus, they're, they're gradually being tempted to give up, to turn back, to, to, to go from the new way that they're now in and to return back to the old way where they had once been, week after week. Chapter after chapter, we've seen how this is happening and we've seen and heard the warnings as another couple of warnings at least in our passage that we're looking at this morning. Again, pointing out just how Jesus is so much better than anything they've come from, anything that they used to be involved with. We've seen that the good news about Jesus, the whole package about his life, teachings, death, resurrection, ascension and glorification, the whole package is actually a better word. He's the last word. He's the final word from God. Better than the law of Moses given on Mount Sinai. We've seen that Jesus is a better priest than the temple priests because he was God. He truly is qualified to mediate on behalf of the people and he himself within himself and doesn't need to sacrifice animals he gave himself as the sacrifice on our behalf so he's a better priest and his sacrifice of course is a better sacrifice he is the one sufficient sacrifice to end them all and we've seen and we've heard that in various ways nearly every week and this morning we'll see it again as we conclude uh, this this book and what better way to wrap up hebrews than ending similarly to the way it started those last two chapters raise again the whole issue of worship just as uh, the first uh, opening part of Hebrews chapter 1 does. So how to now appropriately worship Jesus as the final word from God to his people? You know what's interesting, um, and I don't often uh, inform us of these sorts of things, because um, a good tradesman doesn't show you what his tools are, he just does the job, right? Um, but I did learn this week, and I thought it was interesting, that the um, original Greek word used for worship in verse 28 of chapter 12 there is the same word that the Hebrews use, the same Hebrew word used for their own temple worship, which is interesting because um, ironically uh, their temple worship was only ever a foreshadow, was only ever a shadow of what would become the real deal in Jesus Christ. The, the temple was just symbols and repetitive ritual which is now over and, and done with. So how do we worship God as his new people? In Christ, Well, the difference is given to us in two kind of like metaphors, a tale of two mountains. The difference between these two mountains is unbelievably stark. Uh, you heard Andre read them out uh, from verse 18 in our reading this morning. They're completely, you could not get two different kinds of mountains. He says there in Hebrews uh, 12 from 18 through to 21, you have not come to a mountain like this one. He's referring to Mount Sinai. And there's a description of it, a description of that scene where Moses received the law of God. 
you have not come to that mountain, but you have come to a much better mountain, from verses 22 to 29. And he's writing there and speaking of Mount Zion, the city of God. And the two descriptions of these two mountains just couldn't be more different. You've got one mountain, the Mount Sinai, with this gloom and storm and this fire, and it's a dark image, and it represents the old way. Now, growing up, my uh, parents used to read us, and Dad in particular, from a big, thick uh, picture Bible, and I don't think it's in print anymore, um, but it had uh, pictures, and very graphically drawn, like sort of realistic, I don't know the type, type of art, but, you know, realistic sort of images. And I always remember the image of Mount Sinai and Moses getting the Ten Commandments, and then afterwards with the golden calf and so on. But that one where God turned up was just a dark, it was a full, that was a full A4 sort of page, just a dark image. It was a dark cloud, thunderous cloud, this kind of mysterious, powerful presence up there. And Moses is sort of looking like a fearless leader, but really small compared to the whole scene. I think it captured it really well, because that's what Hebrews is trying to help us see about that mountain. It was full of fire and gloom and storm, and that's the old way. And of course, the second mountain that it's contrasted with is a mountain of songs and celebration, which represents the new way in Christ. And the point being made is obvious. Have a look at it. Uh, as a read from um, verse 18. I don't think it's up on your screen. Let me read it to you. It's certainly in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, uh, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking with words that those who even heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them. Isn't that interesting? God's speaking to them and those that heard the voice, stop it, So I can't, I can't, I can't hear it. I can't stand up. In the presence of it. The command that came from that voice was this uh, that, you know, there, there were these strict rules. You weren't allowed to touch the mountain, you weren't allowed to go up on the mountain. Even if an animal so much as touches the mountain, it must be stoned. They, they don't want to hear not only, uh, the, the, they can't hear the words, the way they're spoken, but they can't even hear the words. It's a terrifying message. Just picture it the sight on Mount Sinai, so terrifying that Moses himself said to the people, I am trembling with fear. Can you imagine a leader of any group of people of a nation, a small nation starting out, sort of standing up and going, well, guess what? I'm trembling with fear. You know, that's, that's not leadership, right? But from what we expect, we, we want someone to tell us everything's going to be okay. Moses could only say, I am trembling with fear. And the point is that God's law was a burden. It's always going to be a burden too heavy to bear. And the scene's one of darkness and gloom and storm, terrifying fear from God's people in God's presence. But the good news is that we're not at that mountain. That's not the mountain that we worship God on. Now, that's where Israel found themselves in the beginning, but the scene is now set for us in Jesus Christ, and it's completely different. And uh, where are we at as disciples of Jesus? Well, we're at this, this second mountain, Mount Zion, and it's an image described for us here in verses 22 to 24. It speaks of the living city of God, or the city of the living God. And it's referring to the city of Jerusalem, which was always Israel's dream. Uh, we know that Mount Zion and, and, and Jerusalem are physical places, but so often in the scriptures they're referred to uh, symbolically so that people, would, the, God's people would understand the significance because it represented for them where God had chosen to dwell with them through the Old Testament system but but this jerusalem compared to mount sinai is just is just extravagant it's next level this is heaven the city of god as the image expands and the picture is one of this joyful gathering of countless angels 
and of people described as an assembly of God's firstborn children. Do you know who that is? That's us. That's the church. An assembly, a gathering of God's firstborn children. It's starkly different, isn't it, to that first image of that mountain. In other words, we as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, God's children, we've come to a party mountain, as one commentator put it. We've come to a party mountain. We haven't come to a dark, gloomy, stormy mountain. We've come to a party mountain where there's joy and there's celebration. Not to a place of law and judgment, but to a new covenant, a new deal made between us and God in Jesus Christ. And because of the work uh, carried out by Jesus on our behalf, the great high priest, the perfect sacrifice, God in the flesh, our names are now written in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. And we're righteous and we're made perfect, it goes on to say, by the very blood of Jesus. The tale of two mountains ends well for all those who have faith in Jesus. The tale of two mountains ends well for those of us who trust him who rely upon what he has done for us by his death and resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but doesn't that just make you want to worship? And we were doing that this morning through those beautiful songs with those similar words, and we'll continue to as we finish our gathering this morning. If that doesn't make you want to worship, I don't know what else, what else I can tell you, what else can make us want to celebrate and be joyful in God. It's worth pausing, isn't it, for a moment and perhaps uh, having a think, asking ourselves, how did we come prepared for church this morning? I know some of us had to get up early and, uh, and um, maybe went to the end of our driveways and sort of, you know, uh, participated in, in a national opportunity to, to rightly remember those who have paid um, enormous sacrifices we've focused briefly on this morning. So maybe you've had an early start, maybe you're sort of thinking, gee, it'd be tempting to just head back to bed or, you know... Maybe on the way to work, on the way to church this morning, uh, you know, you set the car and it sort of went on cruise control and it just sort of drove itself here and you're sort of thinking, gee, I tell you what, someone better not be in my seat. Someone was in my seat last week or where I'd like to sit, but I know it's not a big deal, but they better not be there this week. I'll tell you what, I, you know, look out. Um, all those laughing thought that, didn't you? No, no, it's the ones who aren't laughing. Anyway, um, or did you think to yourself, you know what, I'm heading for this awesome celebration. We are going to celebrate. I can't wait to get into this place, into this space, not because of the space and the place, but because of the people. And I'm going to come here and I'm going to be worshipping. And, uh, and we're going to be meeting this God. And, you know, one day the angels are going to join us, countless angels. So I'm coming now for a foretaste of that, just a small foretaste of what's to come for eternity. Maybe you thought, Gee, I hope the heaters are working. It's getting a bit chilly. And, um, you know, maybe... And they are working. Isn't that great to see? We did it, finally. Hey? Well done, deacons. Good job. These two we've left off deliberately. Okay. <clears throat> They're mostly all working. But what's our mindset when we come to this place, as we come to worship? You see, as we move through the rest of the chapter from verse 25, we read of another warning. And it's a warning for us not to overlook this new deal. Not to overlook it and to despise it, to go, oh, what else is there? No, there's nothing else, I'll go back to what's familiar. Not to, to hang on to the old deal that God always said he was going to make a new deal from and out of. So verse 25 says, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking, that is to God. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, 
another reference to that horrible scene on Mount Sinai. The earthly messenger, as he was, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. You see, these new Hebrew Christians were refusing to let go of the old covenant. And somehow in their hearts, they're heading back to Mount Sinai. That's where they're going in their hearts and minds, despite all the warnings, despite the messages clearly said from the voice of God, don't do it, don't give up, don't go back. But God promises in verse 26 that just as his voice spoke on Mount Sinai and the whole earth shook, once again, says God, I will uh, speak and shake not only the earth, but the heavens also, which means, as he continues in verse 27, that all of creation will be shaken. All the created things will be shaken and they won't stand. They won't, they won't um, bear up. They'll be removed so that only unshakable things will remain. He's referring here to the law, the temple, the priesthood, the endless sacrifices, all of it, shaken, gone, while the unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ will remain forever. So what is true worship? Well, all of this brings us to verse 28. Therefore, since we're receiving this kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire, which means that our worship of God needs to start with the way that we see him with such reverence and such awe that we're invoked, evoked to be overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude, of thankfulness and of joy at this new covenant that Jesus has made on our behalf. And you know what? That kind of thankfulness, that kind of joy at meeting with God's people as we gather to worship like we do now, it's not something fabricated. It's not something that depends on the temperature of the room or depends on how I feel in my heart or what kind of week I've had or what kind of week I'm about to have or what kind of month or year or however bad things might be going for you. It's not something that depends on those things. It's got nothing to do even with the style of music, even if you hate it. Look at the words. We do put effort into the words. It's all about celebrating together God's greatness, God's goodness his forgiveness, his salvation that has come to us freely through Jesus Christ. So at its essence, true worship is all about a grateful heart towards God. It's about living for him out of that thankfulness, out of that grateful heart. But you know, there's even more to worship than just what we do when we gather in this place in thankfulness and joy. True worship is a worship that overflows from these four walls or from whichever place that we gather and meet. True worship um, spills out into way beyond uh, one in seven uh, for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning, a holy day or a religious uh, some sort of mentality. True worship permeates all of our lives. This gratitude, this joy uh, permeates and oozes into every part of our lives. And this is the whole point of the last chapter of, of Hebrews, chapter 13. If you read through it, and I encourage you to do that as you leave here, we'll have a look at a couple of verses. But uh, as you read through it, it it's, try and see it as a list of how to worship, of what worship looks like in our lives as God's people. See, for the Hebrew Christians who got this letter first, their worship was always about the tabernacle and the temple. It was just those two things primarily, the altar and the rituals and the ceremonial foods. But it's over and it's finished. And as Hebrews concludes, have a look at verses 9 to 10 from Hebrews chapter 13. 
Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister, that word ministers literally worship, we have an altar from those who worship at the tabernacle uh, have no right to eat from. You see, our altar is an empty cross of Christ. It's an empty cross of Christ. And God's grace in Jesus towards us is our strength. And, and for living thankful and joyful lives of worship, we don't need new rituals. And, and I can tell you, as, as churches throughout history, we, this is a constant generational struggle. Because we are fickle. And we like tangible things. And we like predictability. And I know many of us have been caught up, and we, we, we've often, we see um, the, the worship wars or you know, disagreements between worship, the polarisations as being the conservative, boring people and the crazy, happy, happy people, right? Both are rituals. I figured this out several years ago. It dawned on me. I used, to, I used to hold Hillsong as it was emerging in the 90s up. It's this, like, wow, this mecca from the east, you know. I, I didn't. Churches I've seen did. Uh, but, you know, I thought, wow, you know, that's amazing music they're, they're, they're producing and so on. They're so different to us. Why are we so dull? And our, and our worship teams used to beat themselves up. Oh, we're just so not much like Hillsong or we don't, you know, what's wrong with us? And all it's missing the point. It's missing the point. And Hillsong know that as well. Um, it, it's not about the style and, 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 and the passion. We, we, can, we can turn our worship into um, predictability. Uh, you know, orders of service remain the same. It doesn't matter what kind of church that you're a part of. It's about our heart attitude. So do not get carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, different rituals, different things, different food laws, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. That's not the point. They're of no benefit to us anyway. We don't come from an altar that sacrificed animals where the priest would go and eat it or sell, the, uh, sell it in the marketplace. It was of no benefit. The altar we have is an empty cross from which there's nothing to eat. It's got nothing to do with food, with food laws. Well, if none of the old religious ways or none of the other replacements taught by people and fancy teachings and so on try to, uh, they try to carry us away from Christ, if, if, if none of these are what worship is, what is it? Well, you've no doubt heard it said before that worship isn't just singing on Sundays, it's about our lifestyles and how we live to honour the God that loves us. So skipping ahead to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good, to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Confession, in song, in word, in testimony. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And doing good for one another doing good and sharing our lives, these are the sacrifices that please God. Every chance you're his, every chance that, that comes your way, uh, every chance that you get confessing that you are his, confessing that you belong to him and that you are his child, we're with Jesus. I don't know about you, um, you know, sometimes our mind might jump to that as being um, street preaching or having to share our faith and for some of us we go, oh gosh, not again, that's a burden in itself and it certainly can be, but maybe think of it like this way. How many times a day do you remind yourself of who you are? How do you talk to yourself in your mind's voice? Self-talk is a powerful thing. All the psychologists and, and 
marketers and everyone know, know about that and they use it all the time and it's, and it's important. How do you talk about yourself? How do you think of yourself and your identity? We have to ensure that, uh, that we're saying the right things about who we are in Jesus Christ and reminding ourselves, professing that to ourselves, that we're sons, that we're daughters. We're the firstborn in Jesus Christ in faith. We belong to God. And then what about taking opportunities that we get to share our faith, to profess with others too? And there are many ways that that comes across our path in many different ways. You don't need a, a bullhorn or a, what, are they, what do we call them? That's what Americans call them. Megaphone. That's right. We don't need that sort of thing. Just openly sharing out of gratitude, grateful hearts, our thankfulness when the opportunity presents, out of joy that we know God and that we are known by him. See, it's not only holding God in reverence and awe, but it's in all areas of our life expressing this gratitude and joy. And lastly, it gets really practical. I'm going to read just straight from Hebrews for this. You see, we no longer need to go to any temple to make sacrifices in order to worship God and try and get him pleased with us. That was the old way of doing things. Now in this new way, in this power of Jesus Christ, we get to do good towards others. All that's done. There's nothing we can do ritually or otherwise to please God. What pleases God is what Jesus did on our behalf for us. That's what's pleasing to God, Jesus in us. And so we get to go and share with others, to do good towards others, to care for people, to open our homes, to live generous lives. I wonder if you can think of ways that you can worship God in this, in this kind of way this week. Not just by singing along uh, with the latest worship songs, even though they're helpful, uh, but for looking looking at good that you can do i know many of us i hear from people think oh and i do it myself you think oh i was going to phone someone so, oh i should go and share that with someone offer this to someone or why don't we invite someone and how many times has it slipped through and it never goes past that past the thought well that's an opportunity to worship out of awe and reverence for god out of the joy and thankfulness that we have for him have a look at uh, what uh, the first five verses of Hebrews chapter 13 says. I'm reading this, it's not on the screen, I'm reading this um, from the New Living Translation, but you can follow along. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some of you have done this and you've even entertained angels without realising it. Remember those in prison... That's those persecuted for the faith. Remember those in prison as you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Wasn't it good again as we often do and need to continually do as we prayed as uh, Joanne led us in prayer this morning to be mindful of the majority of our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned and are persecuted for their faith. Give honour to marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. We could keep going. This is all acts of worship. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. A bit far for me to add in a verse there, but leaders, be aware 
that good needs to come from your life and people have been called by God to follow your example, I'll go and deal with that later. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules and regulations. You see, these are the daily sacrifices that we're called to make. These are the daily sacrifices that are pleasing to God as we truly worship him, day by day. Living as if God really matters, as if God is real beyond just our time together uh, at church or life group or in our own private devotion. A life getting ready for the new Jerusalem. A life that looks forward to all that God has promised to give us. Unimaginable. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that the Lord has for those who love him. The worship that needs no temple, the worship that needs no sacrifices, the worship with Jesus as our great high priest, not just for an hour, not just for a few moments a day, but in every situation we find ourselves in during the week. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. We thank you so much for your grace towards us in Jesus. And we ask this morning, Holy Spirit, been given a rather comprehensive list of ways that we can worship you in all areas of our lives. We ask that you'd help us to take that from knowledge, from hearing, from ideas, from thoughts, and to put it into action. Not in a burdensome way, not in a way to replace new rituals or old rituals with new ones, but in a way that comes out of hearts of gratitude, hearts filled with joy for who you are and for what you've done. Help us to be generous towards one another. Help us to act on thoughts that you, Holy Spirit, lay on our hearts and put into our minds when we think of how we can care for others. And Father, we do this to worship you in response to what you've done for us. And we do this so that those that we live amongst and work amongst might also get to see and taste that you are a good God, that you are a God who loves them deeply, that you have called and desire for all people to come into a saving relationship with you. So we ask that you'd strengthen us to do this, give us courage as we continue to worship and honour and revere you in wonder and in awe. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, we're going to get the band to come on up and lead us in a beautiful song of worship as we conclude our service this morning. Thank you. Yes, I for one am very glad that we can worship God in song as well as with our lives. Uh, let's stand and sing. The words of this song are taken from Revelation where John had a little glimpse into... Uh, eternity in the future and he saw um, thousands upon thousands worshipping Jesus the King and singing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing and that's what we're going to sing today. Worthy 
Now may the God of peace, who brought you up from the dead through our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in us, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen.